believe that the problem is one of perspective. And ironically enough, it was through the course called Perspectives that I took about 20 years ago, and uh, of which I, I've, I've uh, been teaching a few times here and there in the last few years. I began to gain a different perspective on what the purpose of the church is. There, in perspectives, you learn that the Bible is actually one big story. Sometimes we forget that. We, we look at all the individual little stories and we try to find some relevance to our life. And sometimes we don't see the relevance. And so we skip those parts of Scripture. It was about 10 years ago that I realized that sometimes when you're preaching through the Bible, that sometimes there is practical allocation for your life. And sometimes it's just about God. You know, and something that I can learn about him. And instead of just seeing all of these disjointed stories, perspective helped me understand that actually this whole Bible from cover to cover is one big, complete story. But you've got to understand it the way that it was intended. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 11. And for those of you who are pretty astute, you, th- you said, wait a second, Trey, last week we were in chapter 9. Today we're in chapter 11, what gives what happened in chapter 10. Well, let me tell you, this is one of those unique situations where what happens in 10 gets retold in 11. So we can actually hit two chapters today by looking at chapter 11. We're going to understand what happened in chapter 10. And in doing so, we're going to catch what God's purpose is for our church and the church global. And since the Bible, though, is one big story, as I have learned from perspectives, that purpose that God has for his people, for his church, can be traced throughout the scriptures. And so before we go to Acts, I would like to go to the very beginning where we first see the purposes of God in our life. Back in Genesis, Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, says God, in the beginning, God... What? You, you, you guys sound like you weren't quite sure about that one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created. And that first chapter of Genesis shows how he created this entire universe and our world. And then it shows us that the crowning achievement of God's creative genius was us, people. Male and female, mankind. And why we were the the crowned jewel of all of his creation is because we were uniquely made to bear God's image. We we see that in verse 26 of chapter 1. That we were made in his image. We were made to bear his image. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that uh, you and I were made to mirror God's character. So that the things that are true about the character of God are actually reflected in us as well. Now, being made in God's image, well, that brings a, a couple of blessings to us. Number one, we are given, a, we're given dignity because we were made in his image. If we were made in God's image, guess what? You are not junk. There's a purpose for your life. You matter. You have value because you were made in his image. Our lives matter because we bear his image. So we are given dignity, but we're also given destiny. God's design in the book of Genesis was for man to fill the earth, to be fruitful and to fill the earth. Not just the Garden of Eden, but to, fulfill, to fill the entire world. 
The trajectory of God's design for mankind was to take the image that we bear and bring it into the world so that God's glory would be seen in all and through all. But there was a problem. Mankind did not want to glorify God. We exchanged God's glory, Paul says in the book of Romans, for a lie, for darkness. And God's glory began to diminish And what he had done when he had said, let there be light at the very beginning of creation, and light came into the darkness and the chaos, all of a sudden when we disobeyed and did not catch the purpose of our life, the world became darker again and more chaotic again as as Adam and Eve would uh, fall to the temptation of, of mistrusting God and his authority and his glory. And that began a pattern that mankind has lived in ever since. Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve's two boys, Cain and Abel. They come to bring their sacrifices to God. But Cain, because he did not surrender to God's glory and his authority, he was rejected and he was jealous of his brother and so he killed his brother. And the world became a little darker and more chaotic. A few chapters later in chapter 11, we see the peoples of the world trying to make a name for themselves by building a tower that would reach to heaven so that their name would be better than God's name. And God's glory diminished a little bit more and the world became darker and more chaotic. And by the time Israel was formed as a nation, they would also reject God's purpose for their existence. He had made them to be a light to the world. So that his glory would be seen throughout the world. But they held it on to it. And by holding on to it, the light diminished. The glory diminished. And the world became darker and more chaotic. See, God had a plan for Israel. A plan that was given to Abram all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, the father of faith. There God tells him in Genesis chapter 12, Go from your country from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a fourfold plan. Number one, God was going to make Abraham into a great nation. Number two, God is going to make Abraham's name great. Number three, Abraham was going to be a blessing to other people. And best of all, number four, all of the peoples of the earth, all nations, all people groups, all families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. This was God's great masterstroke of mission. God chose this one little donkey herding family with very little future because Sarah was barren. Abraham's wife could not have children. And they were both well advanced in age for this to happen through Abraham's physical body. And God took this little family and what was his assignment for them? To be part of something great. To be a part of a big picture that would bring God's glory back to a dark and chaotic world as they would connect the world back to God. See, God, God's mission, 
God's great mission in this world has not changed at all over those thousands of years. In 1 Peter chapter 2, the Apostle Peter, whom we will look at in chapter 11, Peter reminds the church that we are a chosen race. We are a royal priesthood. I, I love that idea of being a priesthood. You and I, we serve as priests so that people can see the majesty of God who called us out of darkness to live in his light. God's plan was for us to serve as his priesthood, to be priests, serving other people. Because what, what does a priest do? Whether in Judaism or Catholicism or paganism, a priest stands in the gap between the people and their deity. So God calls us to partner with him so that we might connect the world back to him by living out his glory in our lives. Not everybody gets that, though. I found that not every Christian understands that. Billy Graham was known to say at times that the world's smallest package is a life that is wrapped up all in itself. We do get wrapped up in ourselves. It's, it's all about us. It's about my personal relationship with Jesus, and that's all. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. That's all that really matters. Peter had a hard time getting it. For him, it was a very small kingdom that he was building. Yes, it, it was a wonderful kingdom. But it was for the Jews. It was for the, the, the Jewish believers. The Jewish Christians at the time in the early church, they had a problem understanding this as well. And that's what chapter 11, well, 10 and 11, is all about. So if you'll take your Bibles, we're going to start very simply with chapter 11, looking at the first 10 verses, as Luke records them for, them, for us. It says here in Acts 11, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. That's what had happened in chapter 10, by the way. That's, we're going to look at that. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. He says, I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. And I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, surely not. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven in a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. That passage begins with the Jewish leaders the Jewish Christian leaders having a problem with Peter going and evangelizing the Gentiles. For them, their whole existence had been they were God's people. They were the ones to carry the blessing. And so when they came to faith in Jesus, they were the ones that would have Jesus. Nobody else. Nobody else would have Jesus. And so... Peter's problem with the unclean animals actually mirrors the, the Jewish leader's uh, problem with the, the Gentiles. Peter had been taught that these animals were unclean for him to eat. It didn't matter 
that God had said, I want you to eat them. I'm calling these things clean. Peter begins to argue with God. Just like the, the, the Jewish Christian leaders were arguing, saying, uh, we don't believe that, that Cornelius, this Roman centurion that you visited back in chapter 10, even though he's a devout man, even though he's a good man, we don't believe he has the right to come in. He's not good enough. Now, I don't know if you have ever been that obvious with your arguing with God. But I believe that this is a very similar situation that many Christians deal with today. You see, we have an enemy. And that enemy still tempts us today to exchange God's purpose for us, for our lives, with our own desire to just be comfortable. See, God says there are pockets of your world where there is darkness, utter darkness. Where God's light is not shining, where God is not being glorified. And God says, I want you to take that light into those pockets of this world. And we say, no, that's uncomfortable. I would rather just stay in my little world. We see Christianity as a a deeply personal thing that needs to stay personal. Don't make me get outside of myself. That's what Peter's struggling with, dealing with. If Peter had his way... His world would have stayed very, very small. If some of us had our way, once we refuse to catch God's purpose for our life, then our smallness is evident, not just in how many people come to church on a Sunday morning, but our influence and our effectiveness diminishes as well until our church has no relevance at all to our community or to our country or to our world. But praise Jesus, God intervened into Peter's story. Because what happens here in Acts chapter 10 and 11 actually affects you and I in a very profound way. You see, if the church had stayed small, comfortable in in the original Jewish believers, if Peter had not been compelled by the Spirit to go see this man Cornelius, this Roman centurion, then the Gentiles might not have ever been accepted into God's plan of redemption. There would not be any sweeping mission work to the rest of the world. And as a result, there might have been very few, if any, Gentile believers. So what's the impact for you and me? Well, consider that at least most of us here today are Gentile believers. Do you understand how this affects you? If the early church embraced their purpose to the extent or to the non-extent that some modern churches today ignore their purpose, then basically it would have been like the early church would have relegated you and I to hell. Well, we're saved. We have Christ. The rest of the world, well, you can go to hell. Ouch. Because I believe that that's what we say sometimes as well when we ignore God's purpose for us to take his glorious light into the dark, to share the hope that we have in Jesus. The whole vision of the sheet that came down from heaven with unclean things, that was just preparing Peter to understand that God's kingdom is bigger than you think it is. And it includes people that you would never have thought would be included. And it's only going to grow when you and I understand our God-given purpose. So God does intervene. Praise Jesus. He intervenes and says, Peter, no, 
this is what you need to do. Look at the story starting in verse 11. Right then, as soon as that sheet went back up into heaven, right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. This is still Peter talking. The Spirit, the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. See, God intervened. The Spirit began to speak to Peter strongly. And I believe that it needed to be strongly because I know human nature. I know that Peter would have probably been much more content to just stay comfortable and predictable and manageable. It was not a safe thing for him to go to this Roman centurion. Because remember, Rome was in charge of the entire world. They were the occupying force in Israel. And yes, Cornelius was supposed to be this devout man, this good guy. But you never know. You never know what's going to happen. It could be very, very dangerous. Kind of like the risk that Ananias took back a couple chapters ago when uh, God sent him Saul to talk with and to share the good news with. There's one uh, teacher in Perspectives that put it like this. When you get up and go, the blessings will flow. When you get up and go, when you obey God, when you get up and go, the blessings will flow. You see, God, even though it's a risk, God says, I'm going to be with you. Matthew chapter 28, we were given the great commission to go make disciples of all nations. We know that part. But did you know that there's a second part to that? It says, and as you go, I will be with you. That means we're not doing it on our own power. We're not doing it on our own strength, our own wisdom. God says, I want you to go and I'll be with you. And Peter actually had to, in obedience, go. And it was only after he went that he was actually able to see the entire picture. We pick up the story in verse 15. As I began to speak, Peter says, the Holy Spirit came on them, Cornelius and his household, this Gentile, this Roman centurion, the the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning back in Pentecost. And then I remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, here's the conclusion that Peter draws, if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? The light goes on. Peter finally gets it. That building the little K kingdom wasn't enough. In fact, it was in direct opposition to God's purpose for his church, for his people. God wants to grow a capital K kingdom. I said finally he gets it because a few years before this, Jesus had actually spoken to Peter and the rest of the disciples when Zacchaeus came to faith in him and to have a life change back in Luke chapter 19, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's Jesus' purpose. That's the purpose of the church, to go and seek and to save that which was lost. 
Now, for most of my life, before I took perspectives, I believed that Jesus was talking about, specifically, Zacchaeus, being a person who had been lost. And Jesus went to go seek and to save him. But if you look at the original language, actually, there's not a him in that sentence at all. It actually says that the Son of Man, Jesus, came to seek and save the lost thing. Now, he's not calling Zacchaeus a thing. And and Zacchaeus was definitely lost and then was found by Jesus. But instead of just looking at this individual person that was lost, I believe what Jesus was saying was that there was something inside of Zacchaeus that was lost. And that was the glory of God. Somewhere along the lines, this Jewish man, Zacchaeus, had lost the glory of God. And his world was dark and chaotic. And when Jesus shows up, he brings a purpose to Zacchaeus' life. He brings a hope to Zacchaeus' life that turns Zacchaeus around. And God, Jesus says, I have come to see if he can save that glory that was lost in Zacchaeus that now shines brightly. It's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. That which was lost, the glory of God. You look at the pockets of the utter darkness of our world, and you realize that there are places in your community, places in this country, places around the world where God is not receiving the glory that he deserves. In fact, perspective says that missions occur where worship does not. And that could be in Uganda. And that could be in Mexico. And that could be in Prineville. And that could be in Redmond. It could be in your household even, where God is not being worshipped. Missions must take place. We must bear the glorious light of God into those dark places. Yes, so that those people will, will be saved and get to heaven, but that God's glory would be seen throughout the world. That's why we do what we do. That's our purpose, is to bring God's glory to the rest of the world. Now, the rest of chapter 11 is just about a bunch of other people who get it, just like Peter. Some of them go to the Jews, and that's perfectly legitimate, because going to to places uh, that you feel comfortable with, to, to talk to your neighbors, to talk to your family members, that's just as legitimate as going overseas. And so some people went to the Jews to evangelize them. And some people realized that they also needed to cross cultures and and go to the Gentiles as well. And that's why we do that here at Powell Butte Christian Church as well. There was a church up in Syria that was formed by these Gentile believers. It was the church in Antioch. And and once that began, the church in Jerusalem went to go see how things were going to see if this was a legitimate work of the Lord. So they sent Barnabas, and we're going to be talking about Barnabas later on in in, uh, future weeks. They sent Barnabas up to go check things out, and once they saw what was happening amongst the Gentiles, that's when the light came on. (laughs) Ha ha. Oh, this is what God has been trying to get us to do for thousands of years, to serve as a light to this world. You know, they were used to seeing the first part of Psalm, Psalm 67, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. You know, and that's good. God wants to do that. Don't get me wrong. God wants to bring salvation to you. 
He wants to bring that blessing to us. Yes. But they missed that there's a second part of that verse, that passage. Yes, God, be gracious to us. Bless us. Make your face to shine upon us so that your ways may be known on earth. Not just in my life, not just in my church, not just in my little circle, but across the globe. That your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. Folks, we have a purpose. Let there be light. And when God empowers us, there will be light. Amen. Right now, I'd invite the worship team to come on up. Guys, we have an opportunity that many, many of us have already taken. An amazing opportunity to go beyond our lives, to connect with God's purpose for our lives, for our church. And that purpose is to grow a kingdom, to take his image that we bear into this world so that he may be glorified in all corners of the globe. My prayer is that we don't miss that opportunity, that we don't miss that opportunity to embrace God's purpose for our life. One of the greatest examples that I've ever heard of a missed opportunity, I heard from Paul Harvey's rest of the story radio segment. You guys remember Paul Harvey? Good day. There's the rest of the story. It was a story about a man named Arthur. Arthur's friend had taken him on a car ride into the country one day. His friend was named Walter. And Walter drove Arthur off the main road, down these country lanes and through groves of trees to this large uninhabited expanse of land. There were some horses grazing. There was a couple of old run-down shacks. And finally, out in the middle of all of this, Walter just stopped the car he got out, Arthur got out, and Walter began to describe in great detail this vision that he had of something that he was going to build right here. And he offered Arthur the opportunity to invest in what he was going to be building. But Arthur thought to himself, who in the world is going to drive way out here in the country, 25 miles out, uh, to this crazy project? The logistics are just a nightmare. They're staggering. But Walter went on to explain to Arthur that if he would just invest, that his initial investment might grow hundreds of times in the next five to ten years. And as Arthur told this story, he said, as he recalled, he said, what could I say? I knew that Walter was wrong. I knew that he had let his dream get the best of his common sense. So I mumbled something about tight money money being tight, and I I promised I I would take a look at it later. And so Arthur, Art, Linkletter, if you've heard of him, he turned down an opportunity to buy into a project that his friend Walter, or Walt, Disney, would build in the orange groves of Southern California. And though Disney tried to talk Art into investing into the magic kingdom, I didn't see it, didn't think it was going to be worth the investment. Folks, you and I have a kingdom greater than a magic kingdom. We have an eternal kingdom that we can invest in. But it doesn't just take you being here on a Sunday morning worshiping with us, though that is important. It means that we take God's light, the glory of his light, out into this dark world, this dark, chaotic world, and win back that darkness for him. Amen?